Hey, I'm David Breyer and welcome to Fintech Insider. Before we bring you today's show, The Effing Debate, recorded live from Money 2020 in Amsterdam earlier this week, we just wanted to give you a bit of a disclaimer. The debate was created and curated in partnership with Money 2020 and for entertainment purposes at the end of the first day of the conference. We really did it to try and shake everybody up a little bit and really just provoke a bit of a healthy debate. We were allocated sides of the debate and we did not pick them ourselves. Therefore, the views presented are only arguments and do not represent our own actual views. I think basically what I'm just saying is, please don't quote me on this stuff. All right, on with the show. Okay, well, hello and welcome to the Effing Debate, live from Fintech Insider, Money 2020 Europe. I am Lita Glyptis. Uh, thank you for staying with us. I have a plastic crown for the winner. This means you have to stay till the bitter end and decide who gets to wear this. Right, so this afternoon we will be asking, how do you transform traditional banks to compete in the digital banking battlefield? Essentially, how do you win? Debating this today, we have two amazing teams of banking and fintech experts ready to bring the fight. Now, before I bring them on stage, let me say that what they're about to say may not necessarily represent their actual views. Uh, this is all about winning, after all. So if you're really curious whether they meant it, catch them at the end. Right, so please welcome team number one, David and his bears. We've got David Breer, lead bear, Megan Kaywood, Gabrielle Zarillo, and Ed Maslovekis. Come on. With wow. a silver hat. Yay. Megan, are you greedily wearing both hats? Two hats. Two hats in the house. I don't know, I'm, I'm questioning this now. Loyalty, loyalty. Right in the blue corner, Jason. Team Bates Bulldogs with Simon Van Scalina, Christian Loma, and Joris Hansen. If I've slaughtered your names, please, really sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Good sit here with my plastic crown. Oh. Right, so this is how this is going to go. I, I've got my scripts here, so I, I don't get this wrong. We have four rounds, one on each area of banking. Each team has one lead debater prearranged. They get 90 seconds. One of my colleagues is sitting there and will be waving frantically when we get close to that mark. The idea is that they can pitch the topic, after which point the floor is open for everyone to join in and add their expertise, or just generally smack talk the other side. Keep it civilized, people. I will keep time just by looking at Laura, who will be waving at me, and I might check the smack talk. Maybe not. Right, so are you ready? Pretty much. Are we doing this, standing? You can do whatever you like. So, okay, we all know that banking transformation is not one thing. It's not tech, it's not culture, you can do a dance. Okay. <laughs> Brand, design, marketing, etc. It's all of them combined, and some of them are indisputable. However, as this is a debate, we want to dig into four key areas to discuss the best approaches. So, competition, tech, brand, and culture are our four rounds. At the end of every round, the esteemed audience gets to decide a winner. And by the end, we tally up. You can um, clap and shout, right? <laughs> That's how you decide. This is going to be extremely sophisticated. Everyone ready? Are the bears ready? Yeah. yeah. The bulldogs sure. ready? Yeah. Ooh, the audience ready? Let me hear a roar. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, we're going to have to work on that. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Round one, 10 minutes, competition. The topic is, who are the biggest competitors to traditional banks? Are the banks, challenger banks, startups, or tech giants? The debaters? are other banks, challenger banks, Jason Bates, tech giants, David Breer. 90 second opening argument, 90 second opening argument, then go. 
Cool. Cool. So I'm. I think Jason may have called David. <laughs> I will permit. Wow. I will permit. Or it took five, five seconds. seconds. <laughs> right. All right. So for I'm I'm on the side of the big tech giants, and for me, I'm going to make up time by speaking really quickly. Um, at the beginning of every scary movie, there's always that boogeyman. And for big organizations in this industry, tech has always been that. Um, you know, if you look to the West with Facebook and Google and all of the people out that space, or if you look to the East with Alipay and Tencent, you know, these are the guys who are fundamentally rethinking what it is to be in these spaces. You know, these are companies coming into the industry with bigger brands, better products, and deeper pockets than any organization that can be. Um, they understand technology and how to deploy it at speed and scale. And they have operating costs that are fractions of anybody in this space. And their brand that people fundamentally trust. You know, these are organizations coming into this space who at free can really sort of come in and disrupt all of those business models that everybody else has been trying to protect. You know, banks have faced this threat, I think, for a decade and really quite unwittingly being the, the sort of inviting the, the predator into their space to a certain degree, whether it's big contracts with them to pull them in. Yeah. Um, I think in any fight, I'll always take those with the biggest customer numbers. If they've got the best technology, the best talent in this space, um, and fundamentally those best brands. And this is probably, from my perspective, why big tech companies are definitely the biggest threats to the banks. And with five seconds to go. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Right. Jason, off you go. So if banking didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. It's a vital utility for billions of people. Banks take deposits, they keep that money safe, not in a vault anymore, but massive national and international payment systems, settlement systems. They lend money out, and through fractional reserve magic, they create money. The whole economy is based on what banks do. They're the proxy police force. They manage AML, KYC, they prevent terrorist financing, they pre prevent money laundering. And at the same time, they give billions of people access to their finances day to day, so we don't have to carry around cash. Now, the digital shift's happening, sure. And on top of those commodity products now, there are intelligent services, there are end-to-end uh, -end journeys, and we're now moving to a place where challenger banks can offer 10 times better uh, results, value, for 10 times lower cost. That's, the, f that's the, the fact. Not only are they doing all of this stuff at the bottom, but they're providing what is effectively private banking for a mass market. Are the, the uh, big tech giants that uh, David mentioned going to come in? No, they're not. Why? Regulatory burden is huge. It's great to be Facebook and do social network. Try handling like granny's pension. Secondly, are the regulators and the uh, governments really going to allow uh, big Chinese giants or big American tech giants to control their economies? Banking is more than, than just a tech business. It's a regulated utility. Thirdly, uh, just, that's not their playbook. Facebook bought Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus. They don't enter new territories. They buy new challenges or they get, they make Time money. is up. <laughs> Open debate from here on out. The teams can join in and the audience can shout your questions. Just bear in mind I'm deaf and you're going to have to be super loud. Go. So, so big, big banks don't need to be regulated. They don't need to come into this space. What? They, no, no <laughs> big, big tech players don't need to be regulated. They can, they can dart around the outside of the regulatory burden just coming in and taking slices of the revenue pie. It's what they're doing already. But banking is the centre of the economy. It's basically, as I said, all of those jobs. Big banks don't, uh, big tech companies don't want to get involved. Ultimately, they want to be at the periphery, doing payments, doing a little bit of lending, doing some bits at the edge. Ah. Ultimately, it's going to be financial services and banks that are at the centre. And the partner of choice are guys like Monzo, not 
big old traditional banks. But I think there's evidence to suggest that's already not true today. So maybe if you look at the US or like Facebook or other big tech companies, but just today we heard about Kakao Bank, right? So Kakao Bank started as a messaging app, like the WhatsApp of South Korea. They grew 187,000 customers in a day, 3 million customers in a month. They're over 9 million customers today in just a couple of years, which says that if you're a tech company and you understand tech and customers' pain points and you already have scale, there's reasons to believe you can enter the market and do so in a really impressive fashion. What she said. <laughs> but it's two hats. But I'm sure that works in that territory. But uh, you know, we're getting to a world where actually we're blocking Chinese telecommunications uh, infrastructure in our data centers. Never mind big international sort of tech players that want to come here. Like banking's so vital. It's great to be able to do things in you know developing nations. But we're talking about the developed world uh, and a heavy regulated industry where it's taken two years to get a banking license mm -hmm. uh, to manage that. Yeah, to be honest, I'm trying to still recover from Megan's talk. Uh, Simon mentioned before we had this that uh, she will deliver stats and facts, and she did. However, banking is all about that feeling as well. And, and you know, it, it may be a race for cost and convenience, but still incumbents and challenger banks can deliver trust mm. in a different scale. I, I mean, but fundamentally, though, this isn't a debate about who is going to be at the center of the nut. This is about who is going to be the greatest competitor. Now, the greatest competitor doesn't play fair with you. They're the people who can come in and play a completely different rule set, take all of your revenue, and leave you as a commoditized mess at the back end. But the question wasn't the greatest competitor, but the greatest threat to incumbent Says banks. biggest competitor. Who are the biggest competitors? <laughs> That's the summary. The actual question is, who's <laughs> the biggest threat to threat? Yeah. You didn't write banks. those, didn't but, you? Let's be honest here. Everybody has a different bank, but every single person in this room has a Gmail account. So it will be very easy for them to just go in and get everybody the same way they did for our email accounts. A bank is an incredibly privileged position in society. We all agree. And it's one of those things where countries really should make sure that the person who's providing banking services to your country is regulated in your country. So I don't think in the UK, at least, we will ever be in a situation where banking services are predominantly provided by American giant corporations. I agree with that in terms of the core banking services. Thank you. Services. No, Holding that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But <laughs> banking, if you define it more broadly in terms of the horizontal feature set of retail banking products from cards, loans, and all these different services that banks can offer, the higher profit like financial products that they actually make money on, that's what Amazon and others are already competing on. Amazon routinely undercuts banks in the U.S. because they can offer better loan rates. They make more money off the small businesses selling more in the marketplace. So they can be more competitive on those products. Yeah, but that's why they're a threat to the bank. just exited the payments market in the UK. Yeah. And also, if you look at banks like Goldman Sachs, like we heard just uh, a few minutes ago, like they're entering into the marketplaces and platforms where they should be. Well, you mean like with the Apple card where they're powering oh, up all that? That's a great example where big tech didn't do it themselves. Right. They actually relied on banks in order Earth. to provide that infrastructure. I appreciate sure, that. Sure, initially, yeah. but also they had a, uh, an opportunity to go and buy a big card thing if all of the people didn't play with them. But they Look didn't. at Apple Pay. Apple Pay has spread like wildfire despite all the big organizations going, I'm not going to play nicely with you. Now yeah, because of the banks. Mm -hmm. huh? Because of the banks. So the biggest threat to the banks is that they remain banks, but they have no margin because they get pushed down by platforms. The regulation isn't right. enough of a differentiator to stay competitive. But I think where we get to is that the new challenger banks uh, do provide that partner of choice. 
suddenly it's not about, you've got the commodity players that get pushed down, but beyond the using financial services as a point of need. So Facebook, want to, what's their mission? To connect people together. And some of that is payments, sure. And Amazon want to do a commerce. That's what they're aiming at. So there's going to be some lending and payments there. But ultimately, when it comes to managing payday to payday and what happens to my future and where my pensions are and where my insurance are, and the fact that I get paid once a month to my, uh, my account, mm-hmm. that then I have to disperse uh, hundreds of payments out from, mm-hmm. that ultimately, that set of jobs is a challenger bank's job, yeah. not a big Facebook but job. Many ben- your, your pension isn't with the bank, I assume. My what? Pension isn't with the bank. No, no, but the fact that my pensions might get paid or I might, might want to control power You might have it in a financial experience somewhere. Sure. Which is also pushing down the margins of the banks. And it's also that we start to see that banks can actually learn from this so-called competition from tech companies to understand that you can build business models based on technology, right? We see more and more API programs. We see partnerships with, with banks. So I think this is just the beginning of a new journey. And I think what you articulated was a really good argument for why this model works really well for challenger base banks who have a much lower cost base. Whenever you reduce larger banks just to those basic services around KYC, AML, fraud, the core bit of holding deposits, that alone isn't sufficient. And so therefore, that's why it's threatening to see these other tech players come in and start to innovate on all the other pieces of the payments. Yeah, so the, value true, the true biggest competition for incumbent banks is a lower cost base. Nope. And on that note... It's the audience's turn to decide. Well, I, th- I thought I'd give you that one. Since you were um, vote by cheering. Which side was most convincing for one point? Breers Bears? Yay! It's his Bulldogs. Ooh, I was worried a bit. Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, that's I thought that one nil. Yeah, we warmed up the audience. <laughs> the other way around. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. ask if you the way around next time. Right, <sighs> so we have a winner for first round. Round two, ding ding, innovation. You got it. Innovation and new tech, what's the best approach? Same format, now you know it, cheer for your favorites. Right, the debate is how do you compete with the new players with fully digital cores and digital products and services? Partnerships with fintechs, tech firms, and third-party providers, or in-house innovation and development. We're gonna talk about legacy, we're gonna talk about constraints and stacks, we're gonna talk about big, big bank versus incremental, we're gonna talk about open banking, all the best things. Mm-hmm. Favorite, yes. Why not? Sure, You're the bearer of choice, Ed. You want it. You go um, first. Okay, so partnerships, we just kind of talked about that. Partnerships can make things better, right? So we, you know, the, the potential of Apple, why would they go and Get a banking license. It's not profitable for them at all, right? It's not. It's not. Not for them. Not on their business. Not how they interact. That's not what they do best, right? But what what Marcus does best is is banking. And and I think this is the kind of realization is banks love going, I think, standing up in front of their, their teams and going, we've got the technology. We can do it. We can build it ourselves. And then the realization is 12 months later, somebody's very happy because they have the reoccurring budget. It's not gone somewhere else. And nothing happens for the customer. So ultimately, we're seeing that if you actually want something to change from a customer experience angle and and for your customers and therefore for your business, you have to partner with someone else that does something better than anyone else, right? What do you do best? Is it banking? Is it a new lending product? I don't know. But my argument is 
if you're a bank, do what you do best and let the rest do the rest. Ooh. Ooh. Leaving 21 seconds nice. on the table. Nice. Ed is done yeah. in favor of in-house innovation. Christian. I'll take it. Um, well, can I see a raise of hands if you believe that your current por project portfolio will take you to 100% done with financial? Anyone? No one believes that. Like the point is that uh, we're in a game where we have to continuously innovate. It's, it's nice to have a new mobile app that does AI this and that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that it is like in a Finnish saying, um, if you pee in your pants during winter, it will warm you for a while. <laughs> Please someone tweet that. Yeah. Everybody tweet that now. My point is that when we are in a game where everything changes all the time, it's not enough to do that one-off partnership or one-off product. What you're going to need is, is a learning vehicle that adapts. And there's another Finnish saying that beautifully captures the point, and it goes like this. And what that translates to, thank you, give it up. What that translates to is that you cannot you know, carry bucket loads of water into a well and believe that it becomes a well, you know? Mm. So the point is that you need to build that vehicle that actually learns. With that, thank you. Mm. Woo. The confidence in this round is staggering. <laughs> With 11 minutes on the clock, <laughs> now it's open to the team. I'll take the time, I'll take the time. <laughs> the fact is that partnerships are crucial because you can't expect everybody to go on and do everything. Banks are already over bloated and over huge amounts of people. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people in an institution, constantly moving from one place to another. And therefore, how can you expect that co them to do just about everything without keeping that core knowledge? So it's better to interact on that core knowledge, focus on it, and then partner out with all the extra fluids and additional nice-to-haves. Do you know who else thought that? Uh, Barnes & Noble, when they outsourced <laughs> their innovation to a little startup called Amazon. Mm. Yep. You know, it's not that this little thing is like the ultimate now. It's, it's that providing those digital services, doing digital, is the core business. And therefore, you can't outsource that. That has to stay with the bank. Otherwise, you become a commoditized offering where the, the margins get squeezed down into nothing. And well, do you know you what's mean, harder you... than building a bank from scratch? It's like being a fintech and trying to get connected into a bank as a partner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying it's bank, possible. You're, so you're saying <laughs> banks shouldn't partner, so they should just protect inflated revenues. Is that no, obviously not? But uh, you know, the point in partnering is to learn something or, or you know, accelerate building the stuff. Uh, but that doesn't compensate for the fact that you actually have to know your stuff. Sure, but, but are we in a world where banks just believe they know it? Like, are banks, are you so arrogant that you believe you know everything about everything ever, therefore you're not going to learn anything about anything from anybody else? No, really? but, we, but we're talking about the core business of a bank. So the jobs to be done around the payday to payday right. journey. Why do you keep, you keep, keep, you keep reading different questions, my lord? <laughs> What's the best? No, no, but those, those uh, jobs to be done are the core business of a bank and yeah. so innovating on that is fine How now you partnering with that? some other I'm, pieces I'm aware but just answer the question <laughs> <laughs> to those of you in yeah. the audience wondering whether working with these two is like this in real life <laughs> it is yeah, so but from a jobs to be done perspective if somebody else can do a job better than you can for your customer then you should let them do that sure but not all banks are created equal a lot of banks don't actually have their own 
they don't own their own technology. They don't actually have the source code to the to the core banking system that they run. Yeah, so. they should be scared of big techs. We cover that in the last one. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> and I think the point is that no bank should be one thing to all people. The reason why partnerships win is because that's how you deliver the best value for customers. Okay. The reality is, since 2008, banks just weren't innovating, particularly in terms of technology or user experience. They weren't competing on price or cost. And the fact is, that's allowed a lot of fintechs to come up. They usually focus on solving one thing really well, having a much lower cost base, being cloud-based, being mobile-friendly, real-time, intuitive, all these things. And I think the best model then is for banks to say, you know what, we're not best in class at literally everything. There's lots of amazing companies. Rather than trying to upsell you our one product that we happen to have, let's help you find the best in class product for you. And so the reason why partnerships win is because that's how the customer wins. And the reason why partnerships lose is because <laughs> it takes just as long to connect to a partner often as it does to just build it yourself, if you're the right kind of bank. But let's take it back a second, because when it comes down to it, banks are actually built on partnerships since years upon years and, and dozens of years, right? So it's always been built on a partnership models. Most other systems, the legacy systems we like to talk to about, are actually locked out by you know, consultants Precisely. or other IT and, teams. And I, and I so maybe, maybe the question isn't about you know, whether partnerships are the way or if new and better partnerships are actually the, but, exactly but the, the solution. But the question is prioritization. Where banks are now with their aging systems, infrastructure, traditional road approach, do they hook in new partners and uh, options into this aging thing? Or do they have to innovate and develop the new tech to allow them to take, uh, take advantage of these new partnerships in order to make it happen? But that's a dated worldview. You're saying the banks have to integrate it in. It can also be external integrations. You have open APIs. No bank, no company has monopoly on good ideas. And the beauty of a platform and open APIs is it allows this community of developers to start innovating on those banking features and functionality. And inevitably, a community of developers can innovate better and faster than any single one company alone. But you have to have a strong, innovative core to take advantage of those partnerships, which banks don't have at the moment. I think mm. banks are very good at taking advantage of partnerships. <laughs> like, I, I, I believe very firmly in a banking marketplace. I think it's one of those things that I think core bank, you know, challenger banks should be maybe built upon. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but I'm also trying to win the debate here. Uh, <laughs> well, you wore the wrong t-shirt. <laughs> but Monzo has built its own core banking system, has innovated yeah. internally in order that it can leverage those things. Sure, thanks. Yeah. You can't, like... You can't connect, you know, a brand spanking super new partner. Well, you can, but it's a very short-term view, which means ultimately you end up with a rotten core and some great partners. Yeah. But where does that take you? Barnes & Noble and Amazon? No, Simon and Jason, who wasn't said the bank of the future is a marketplace founded upon partnerships? Was it, was it you, where do you work? Was it, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what about it? But then Tom ran me off <laughs> and said it as well. <laughs> for the record, there's a blog. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. It would be better for them to do it themselves, but essentially it's the the arm to... Sorry, sorry, we yeah, just like really stop right there, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I honestly think Monzo should build all their own products themselves, but theoretically, you know... The... Well, no, it's not all the products. It's the strong core that yep. enables you to have a marketplace because they're delivering on those core journeys And then they themselves. partner to revenue. It's all about... Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. You need both. You need the foundation, but the thing that's actually winning is the partnerships. Exactly. The foundation is just an enabler for it. You know, men don't have that yet. We're not agreeing. Definitely not agreeing. It's a great thing to do that. Yeah. We're all for shortcuts. Partner with somebody who does it better than you, get to the end, get the revenue. Once you've innovated the new intelligent services model internally, like Starling, like Monzo. So I'm not debating that banks don't need to be smart. I'm saying that they can cheat and get to the end of it and partner with somebody and get there quicker. Well, this is all about actually whether it's smarter to partner or not to partner. We believe that they should. No, it's about the prioritization of 
Because you have to do both. You have to innovate internally and you have to partner. Where do you start? Yeah, you, you have, have to, to partner. You have to partner. I, I, I mean, if you partner. simplify this down to which of either if you would do, like we all, like, all kind of agree that both is better strategy, but either you only partner or either you do it yourself. Yeah. I would choose the latter one every single day. But that's not the debate. If you can, like, either you be that a bank or you be a bank and partner, well, obviously, you at least have to be a bank. Yeah, but no one you know wins what I mean? <laughs> like, you can't win on those rounds. I mean, like, the importance we, is, yes, you innovate internally, but the more important thing is innovation is driven through partnerships. Right. You don't that innovate and tempers heating up, my job is becoming more interesting. Audience, it's time to cheer. It was not differentiated enough before. You're going to have to do better. Who persuaded you for one point no. Oh, oh. Oh. Oh, I think we won that one. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. Right. That one is clear. Ooh. Round three with everything yeah. to play for. Yeah. How does your brand compete? What is the best way to grow your brand, reach, and customer acquisition? We're debating new brands and or flanker brands or new services from your existing brand. We're talking about... Differentiators, traditional banks not being cool enough, I would have thought. We're talking about prestige and brand names. We're talking about inclusion and accessibility. Or this is just an excuse for me to get my inner thespian out. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. The floor is yours, Gabrielle. Awesome. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, come on. Give the lady a round of applause. Better come with a dance now. Let it hit. What's in a name? That which we call a bank, by any other name, would provide financial services just as well. <laughs> so an incumbent would, were it not an incumbent branded, retain those dear regulations, which we thank. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Shakespeare aside, a brand is there to invite and to excite. It defines the soul of your organization and reaches out to your audience to evoke shared values and a, get a glimpse of an aspirational lifestyle. Banks have long been fraught with failing reputations and lackluster opinion ratings. And a successful rebrand can actually wipe away the cognitive bias we hold against a major financial institution as being slow, backwards, and painful to deal with. Ooh. Instead, a fresh slate is proffered, and the hearts of those users seeking a truly native digital experience, those who would have thrown scorn at a traditional bank's efforts to peddle its digital services, can be surprised, brought forth, and their hearts can be conquered, free from the weight of a somewhat trusted but mostly tired name. I hate to stop this. And with an impossible act to follow, Simon, the floor is yours. Methinks you thine esteemed college doth, doth talk too much. <laughs> she can I don't really more. even know why I'm up here. I'm an engineer. Um, the person you really want to be hearing from is Jason, who named uh, half of the challenge banks in the UK, including naming Monzo twice. Uh, <laughs> But seriously, uh, I don't really know why I'm up here talking about how your brand competes. Monzo only has one brand, and we're a little bit different to most banks in that our internal, uh, our internal um, message to ourselves is 
consistent with what we tell people in the outside world. We're a transparent company. Anybody inside Monzo um, has access to all of the data inside Monzo. We, we, uh, we don't have like an internal voice and an external voice. We are open and honest with our community. We talk freely about what we're going to do. We don't keep secrets. Uh, we, we engage with the community even when it's hard, even when we're talking about things that the community isn't going to like. Like we just have one brand, um, which is to be authentic and to, to treat the customer fairly. And, and if, if we ever find ourselves in a situation where like we know something would be a difficult conversation or we'd rather like our users didn't know about that, then we, we stop and we say to ourselves like, are we actually doing the right thing? Like that is our brand. It's to just have one internally consistent brand. That being said, I can tell you a few things that are a really bad idea when you're thinking about a brand. Um, don't be Bo and come up with a name that you can't Google because <laughs> I don't even know how you type that character. Uh, <laughs> Actually, that's the main one, really. <laughs> Just like, or um, 86,400, which is Anthony, is that even the right number? 86,400, yeah. which is Anthony Thompson's new bank in Australia, which is, Ooh. I mean, it's a number. It's a number of seconds. I'm just going to keep talking to you. Tell me to stop. And, and, um, and you, with a slight dig at the Australian challengers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Make it Googleable. Can, yeah, I, can I, I just I take this one moment one. to mention that he's wearing a silver hat, so technically mm. he's also on our team. Yeah, but yeah. you have a you have an undecided that's, member on your side, so I won't <laughs> see any of that. Right, with with everything to play for, mm -hmm. open debate, guys. What's the question? <laughs> You'll just change it anyway, Jason. Uh, how does your brand compete? And the, the points are? Because <laughs> I'm points not sure who I vote for at this point. Yeah. Points are I think that the traditional bank. like speaking really archaic language. Yeah. And <laughs> old, uh, old brands were started a long time ago. They, they represent, represent oldness, greyness, and all of the bad things that have come in banking. You guys are all for like the old brands. And we're here essentially to, to argue against the, to argue for the creation yeah, at of least new, remembers brands. Exactly. new brands that actually mean something today like the ones you two have created. <laughs> and Our brand if you also are represents a, bank. a strong brand, trust that has been built over many decades. When we wait, say wait, this what, is trust, what trust, we can trust? leverage to bring banks into new contexts of life, in particular for partners who have zero customers and which service no one knows yet. I mean, I know a smart guy who often says is like, people trust banks for different reasons. They trust them not to run away with all of their money, but they do not trust them to do the right thing and buy them. And this is the situation that we're in very much today, is that new brands are being established to align with people's beliefs. Exactly. Uh, you know, People want brands today that represent them in terms of the services and the things that they offer them. Uh, and it's great to have heritage, but I mean, I mean I'm not buying a lovely old cottage and I'm buying a bank, you know what I mean? It's great to have heritage, and to do co-branding based on a trustworthy brand and not start from zero. Or not, I can actually give an example. Take Sokgen, who created Bosohama. They have completely different types of uh, clients. You look at the average amount of money and uh, income that a client of Sokgen get versus the much higher income of a Bosohama client, which is very much a more tech savvy and probably in higher income type roles. And you can definitely see that they're two completely yeah. different client bases, and which is why they created this new brand. But is the technology and the regulation behind it the same? And would you put yes. your salary on because some account with a company you've never heard I, before? I, I mean, it's always fun mm -hmm. to come up with a new brand. Like we do it every now and then in our innovation lab and we spin off ideas to test them. And it's good for that. But mm -hmm. um, every single time that we've leveraged our brand, the 117-year-old brand, 
we've get, gained so much more traction. Uh, and very, very recently, actually, I think, David, you've just launched a new uh, SME bank in the UK, Metal, powered by NatWest, I think it says, which really kind of says, look, we're trying to be new, but we're established, therefore we want you to use it. And in fact, that is the playbook. You look across the world yep. and where people are doing this, it's like, we're new, but you're going to be putting your salary, your business account, you're, gonna, you're not going to be trying this with some startup you've never heard, some brand you've never heard. It's actually the main brand which means while you might not trust banks that they might uh, you know, squander or, uh, not squander, uh, screw you on charges and fees, you trust that they're going to keep your money safe. And if you're going to use someone for a bank, you have to see that name there, even for something that you might have created. And However, partners love it, yeah? Every partner leverages an existing brand that's open doors. So why are partners. they launching new brands? Yeah, it's still a new identity. Well, really, it's a new product. Yeah. It's a new set of services that are powered by the big bank, which yeah. is the main brand. But that's, and that's it. They're creating this new digital identity. Yeah. This is a new flanker brand. That's exactly what's I happening. I need the trust value. Sub still with powered by. You could call it a sub-brand. We haven't well, heard I think we call it a flanker brand, brand, right? <laughs> I think this is a flanker brand called. <laughs> no, but I think this is the whole point, is that model works really well. The reason why Marcus is you know, brought forth by Goldman Sachs, we saw earlier, the reason why we have companies like Metal is you build off of the trust that the bank has, right? The established brand, while also launching something new and digitally friendly. This is the side that we're arguing for. So well, I agree. I appreciate that you agree yeah. with that. So this, but this, the this point is, is, this yeah. is big. This is parents having children, right? <laughs> you know, big brands giving birth to the next generation, NatWest giving birth to metal. Like, it's not like you have a kid and they just fucking abandon it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, of course you're going to lend your name to it in the same way as you'll lend your name you to your to be children. Than you. But it, essentially, this is the next generation. It is new yeah. brands coming to the fray. Yeah. And once they're able to sustain themselves and actually stand on their own two feet, they will be bigger than the other brands. Yeah. But it still has got your last name, so we are still in the area of corporate. Well, brutal, mate. What's your kids called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is important because it's um, there's a really good talk by a guy named Simon Sinek, and he talks about the power of brand. He talks about people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Yeah. And part of the ability with building a new brand is you have the kind of foundational basis of like, we're a bank, we're trusted, but also you can build this new digital identity that people can really buy into as a brand. Simon was articulating it for Monzo. It's really important to have that customer-centric brand and building a new one enables you to leverage that. But ultimately, if you're putting your money with someone, it has to be a trusted brand, while at the same time, you can taste a little bit of the sub-brand of the, actually, here's the newness, and this thing might evolve. But ultimately, the name that people recognize, and therefore the most powerful thing to them, is the brand that's worth the most. And by all of the branding surveys, the big bank uh, sort of brands will be the ones that recognize. And someone who's working for Barclays on doing this, you're going to be leaning on that brand. Don't tell me you're not. I feel you're agreeing with us when it comes down to it. You're you're really agreeing with us because you're not saying... You're agreeing with us. No, no, no. You're agreeing with us. Right. With the team leads quoting each other against each other, this is getting particularly heated. And it's time for you to decide who's going to go ahead. So I need some loud cheering, though, like because I'm deaf. And and you're still not differentiating very well. So let me hear it for the Bulldogs. Oh, we can do better. What about the Bears? I think we may have had some double voting, but that definitely puts these guys ahead. With everything to play for, because in case you didn't realize, it's four rounds, one point each. This could be very interesting. No, two to them, one to us. 
now, yes. Yeah. If there is a one more round, it could be two each. Mm. I'm and then, not, not and then, with the And then I decide <laughs> who gets wow. to wear this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So round four. Culture. The thing we've sort of been building towards. So no question that a culture of innovation is imperative. And traditional banks have to, have had to change in order to survive. But how do you actually build and foster a culture of innovation? What is the best approach to creating and sustaining an innovation culture? Internal change, changing cultures, mindsets, and team structures to become innovative, or just hire new people, third-party advisors, and create transformation that way? Our debaters, Megan and yours. All right, I'll kick it off. All right, so I'm gonna be on the side arguing for the importance of culture, culture in the company versus on our other side, we'll have them arguing for hiring external talent. So the first thing I wanna start with is a quote by a guy named Peter Drucker, and what he effectively says is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the reason why that's true is because strategy is foundational. You need to understand your product, your customers, the jobs that you do for them, how you differentiate within the market, but that strategy is only so good as it is implemented. And the culture within the organization is the vehicle that drives that. So parts of culture that are really important that you need to adapt around are things like moving from waterfall to agile, enabling your teams to work in cross-functional ways so that designers, developers, product managers are all working together, but also realizing that as you scale as a successful company, you have more and more people, then you have more and more layers. As financial services, you have more and more layers of bureaucracy. So the culture you build needs to be able to make you cut through that effectively. So often there's a saying by um, a Stanford professor and named Huggy Rao where he says you have to effectively scale by smart subtraction. You have to realize that as you get bigger, the culture can become such that you have um, persuasion by PowerPoint rather than by data. You have lots of meetings, you have lots of PowerPoints. So the importance of culture is recognizing the importance of that and saying we want to enable a culture that's willing to test things and fail to make decisions by data, to work in an agile way, to be willing to fail when we're trying to innovate and do something new. It's that culture that you build up around the business model that you're driving that's going to enable it to succeed. And with Time, that, amazing. Yeah. Boom. Woo. Woo. Too Woo. Very much. Wow, like with a second. Wow, that was, I mean, <laughs> right, the floor is yours, but I just checked the time. Right. Um, like, wow. Okay, you've got the timer up again, you're fine. Uh, I would like to stress two things. My first point is hire new talents. <laughs> Um, banks are traditionally around financial products, security and regulation, but can you imagine a security manager providing, ah, oh, I missed my point, joy fuse? No, I wanted to say, but well, today is about seamless products, uh, customer experience and joy of use, but can you imagine a security manager providing joy of use? So we as banks, we have to hire new kinds of people, people who do not fear uncertainty, who are curious and willing to learn. And my second point is, cooperate with third parties. We should build the foundation for innovation, not innovation itself. Um, this is the, the way um, to um, offer compelling products for your partners. And uh, one, more, uh, one last point, do not fear the change. Right? In order to make innovation happen, um, do not try to change the whole company. Just change the way you work. Do not, uh, if you want to be innovative, choose um, freedom over security and don't be afraid to ask for feedback because there are many smart people out there who rely on better banks. Mm -hmm. And one more thing, do not fight for applause, always fight for results. Nice. Mm -hmm. Seven seconds left on the clock. Nice. Open debate. <laughs> <laughs>
Culture is the most important thing in any of these organizations. So fundamentally, you have to change the internal culture of an organization, else you're never going to be sustained. Mm-hmm. Just like pissing money away with external advisors as much as you want, but you're never going to change your company. But actually, the, the question says about hiring new talent, of which Megan's a great example. Right. And comes from a challenger bank that. to join a big bank, <laughs> yes. because yeah. having been successful, as many executives are in big banks, for 20 or 30 years and understanding that, how do they t- change their own culture without exactly. bringing people who are somewhat naive in in order to make that happen? Yeah. So it's all about the new talent and the ways of working, which you're a great example. And I did can't you, argue. Did like, you, like, I am... Hang on. Did he pivotal, say somewhat naive? Because, like, I just want to <laughs> <I just wanna laughs> pick well, you culture, up on that culture's one. Culture's yeah. part of the... Yeah. Culture's part of that process. If yeah. they're not the right culture fit, then they shouldn't join the company. So you join, join your company for the culture? Like, I would argue that, you know, <laughs> companies are, are built in a way that uh, the culture is, is something that needs to be adapted. And the only way to yeah. adjust that is by getting in new talent. I'd argue that I'm probably uniquely placed to make this argument, given that I was just chief platform officer at Starling. Now I'm head of global strategy at Barclays. And the point is, Yes, bringing in new talent, bringing in someone like me is important and it does drive change. But ultimately, I am just one person. And whenever you do anything, it takes a team, a team of people. And it's the culture and the processes and the environment around that that will enable you to succeed. So yes, external talent is important, but it's not as important as the entire culture of the organization. And and to your point, when we brought in, when we spoke to the the ex-chairman of BBVA, he actually replaced his entire leadership team C-level group to bring in new talent who understood tech to build that whole thing out. So even, you know, even BBVA who are quite a way along there realize that actually you can't use the same old bankers with the same old views. You actually have to bring fresh talent in as the key key part to that change. Yeah, but like, so last week I saw the CEO of Amex talking about culture in their organization. The way he described it is he was bringing this external talent, but he's like, it's like you're a junior in high school and your parents decide to move and you have to go somewhere new and you're like, oh, son of a bitch, you know, like, sorry. Um, I'm at this new place. He's like, but that's what it was like to join Amex because the culture would kind of spit them out. It's like the immune system would spit them out. So they actually had to really work to have a culture where you not only hire new talent, but they could actually be absorbed in and be effective in the roles without wanting to leave immediately. And before, the thing is that- before Google, before 2000, banks was a relationship business. After Google, banking is a technology business. Like, I don't know many many groups of people that have successfully transitioned, frankly, from being people people to computers people. Mm-hmm. Um, and personally speaking myself, it's pretty hard to transition from being a computers person to a person person as well, right? So sometimes, you know, like Niels Bohr said, like yep. science changes when old scientists die. Uh, and David, you might argue that actually the entire business you've created is about bringing new talent into big banks uh, across the world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really torn between rubbishing my own business <laughs> and winning an argument. Oh, no. Thank you. You make it so no, no. David. <laughs> we can still win it. We can okay, still win it. Because on. when it comes down to it, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem, right? We're saying, okay, uh, hire new talent or they have to be innovative first. But when it comes down to it, if the innovation culture isn't there to begin with, to hire and see the right people and bring them in, those people will be knocking on closed doors. Like, you know one of those sims that are, you know, stuck in a swimming pool and can't get out? That's what would happen to your new talents. They would be there dying in a swim, empty swimming pool without the ladder. But you're describing most banks. Like, that it actually happens. Yeah. That actually ha- That's happening. Which and is- that's actually quite a lot of the work we do is make, trying to stop that. But those ones that do partner with you, partner with you, (laughs) then are also looking at changing innovation culture internally and have done a conscious choice 
top down to get that to happen. They're not counting on grassroots movements and having pe- hired people suddenly make it happen. So banks have hundreds of thousands of people working for them, right? They have an obligation not to just fire all of these people and be in a situation where they harm the job, you know, uh, percentage of people in jobs, right? They have to go through a process of actually sticking with their people and uh, educating, evolving them to ensure that actually they're fit for what we're doing. You know, like evolution is sort of met with many of these points where you keep need to keep moving forward. So the retraining that many of large organizations are doing from frontline branch staff into digitally savvy, uh, digitally enabled people is happening. You know, So I honestly think like, culture is everything. You can't just have money and invest it externally. You've got to be changing your culture and moving it forward. But it's not about changing the whole company. The traditional business will still exist. It's like you said, now we are slowly evolving banks to become tech companies. Right, mm-hmm. so through hiring experts and starting this movement mm-hmm. is the way to go. No? If, you, yeah. if you have people interviewing that don't know what the right culture is, how can they hire for that culture? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But similarly, I would say that, like with Music to David's point earlier, like <laughs> whenever people like 11FS come into an organization, it's almost like an innovation catalyst. When I started my career back at Intuit, they're a massive company, but they realized that Zero would immediately go into these new markets with best-in-class technology, and they would just completely overwhelm the competitors, like MYOB and Australia, right? But what they did is they'd have this training to create these innovation catalysts, spread them throughout the company, but they moved from waterfall to agile, they moved from desktop to cloud. They had to have a culture that really reframed around lean methodology, jobs to be done frameworks. But you have to spread that throughout the organization because it's battleships versus speedboats. And you have a lot of strengths as a big company, but unless you really adopt that and figure out ways to embrace it throughout the entire organization, you're ultimately going to fail, even if you bring in a few like amazing people that can help you with that transition. Uh, and it's great to talk sort of theoretically, but I think everyone in this audience knows from personal experience that bank cultures don't move unless you bring in senior people who really get it and make it happen. Like the people who have been there for a long time are a problem. And, and you, just, you just have to look inside your hearts. You just have to be honest with yourself. On that heartfelt plea, <laughs> you are actually out of time. Twice. You know. have, uh, I have a timekeeper there who's giving me the look when I go over. Um, it's time for the final vote. If you vote for these guys, these two have to share the crown, and I will make uh, sure they take it. turns don't wearing it tonight and for the rest of yeah. time in the office. If you vote for these guys, he gets crowned and has to wear it tonight and for the rest of time in the office. Wow. I promise you Twitter updates. Make it happen. <laughs> make it loud. Vote for the Bulldogs. What about the Bears? Yeah! Oh, oh, that is close. No, that was a tie. Maybe do it. I'm gonna call this a tie. I'm gonna call this a tie and decide. Oh my god! But then we kind of win by a half point, right? You do. You win Ah! by a half point, which means you've both done an incredible job, but you all get to see David. Wear this baby for the rest of the evening. Woohoo! Yeah! This is the effing debate, guys. Thank you very much. Congratulations to the Bears, commiserations to the Bulldogs. A fantastic show from all, and thank you all for staying with us so late into the day. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. My king, any final words? You're welcome. <laughs>